Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. What if we had a show about solutions? You know, a repair manual for the real world. Not the same old left versus right. I am right, I'm right. and you are wrong. Yeah. Boring. <laughs> yeah, something new. Yeah, something new. How to make the world a better place. Yeah. How, How do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Hi, I'm Jim Meggs with Richard Davies, and we have another show that looks at a big problem and suggests solutions. This one's about the booming on-demand economy. Companies like Uber, Lyft, Homejoy, and hundreds of others. They offer a really big range of services to consumers. Some will drive you where you want to go. Others will clean your home, do your laundry, ship your packages. It all sounds pretty great. These startups may have a problem, though, with their workers or contractors, as they prefer to call them. Instead of offering real middle-class jobs for these people, they often end up being just day workers. Yeah, recently the California Labor Commission ruled that an Uber driver was actually an employee and not a contractor, which is how Uber has handled all of its drivers. Now, this could be a huge blow to Uber, not having to pay benefits and paperwork will save them a lot of money, but is this fair to employees? Helping us to sort all this out is Marcella Sapone. She's the co-founder and CEO of Hello Alfred, a startup company that dispatches helpers to do all kinds of errands like laundry, cleaning, and grocery shopping. And why did you name your firm Hello Alfred? So we wanted to be a conversation with a person, a person who you could trust to help you get things done in your home. And Alfred has traditionally been a name in literature uh, that denotes help. And most famously, Alfred was Batman's butler. Now, what do you consider the people who work for you to be? Do you think of them as employees or, or contractors? So they are W-2 employees. We actually think about them as our primary customer. Now, one of your direct competitors, a company called Homejoy, uses contractors. So, so why did you make this decision to, to have employees uh, rather than contractors? So we're a little different in the fact that we are going to give you a dedicated person who's going to visit your home each week. We even have the keys to your home. So there's a high and deep level of trust that's necessary. Where did you get the idea for Hello Alfred and, and how did it uh, really come to be? Sure. So my co-founder and I, Jessica Beck, were both working in finance in New York before we went to business school. And we were working very 
very long hours. And we went to business school. We were marked at the fact that there was like a 50-50 split. There were women and there were men. And then when you look later in your career and you look in the finance industry, there are very few women. So we actually went on a little bit of a journey looking for what's what's the difference? What happens? What When women stay in the workforce, what do they have? And the answer is help. And so how could we make help accessible to more people and in a way that was fun and playful and was respectful? And our way of thinking about it was, okay, a traditional butler, which is, you know, basically a motherly type figure who is coming into your home on a weekly basis to take care of the routine things that happen every week, your groceries, laundry, dry cleaning, keeping your apartment clean, taking your shoes to the cobbler, picking up packages, getting prescriptions, the long list of things that you do on the weekend. And sometimes you don't have that weekend. Is it mostly for two income couples? Is it for people who have a lot of money? I mean, what is your target audience? It's really accessible. There's really two main types of use. People who are young in their career, spending a lot of time at work and really devoting their energy to doing that. And the second are dual income households that are thinking about chores and work within the home in a different way and saying, how can we make this more fair and not make this just a woman's job? So helping you manage your life. That's right. And also kicking those guys in the butt. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think the big focus of why we wanted to have you in for this episode is this idea that our economy is changing to more of a freelance on-demand economy. Uh, One study said something like 40% of workers would be contractors or freelance in one way or another. And there's a lot of implications for this in terms of of the security of jobs and the relationships. You wrote a piece recently, I thought this was intriguing, and you said that that these on-demand firms turn interactions into transactions. Well, explain what you meant by that. So a lot of um, the on-demand companies that are using contractors, they're using them to uh, essentially go the last mile. And so technology connects you with a service and you can ask for things on demand, but the people who are really satisfying and doing the deliveries are people. You are not interacting with them. You don't necessarily know their name. You don't have an ongoing relationship. It's a one-time take the taco and go. And <laughs> that is a very different situation than having a relationship with somebody who is over time learning more and more about you. I want to step back a little bit because it really seems like the economy is changing. I mean, when I started working what? Back in the 1970s, the expectation for most people was that they'd work for the same single employer for decades. And then we were told in the 90s, no, you'll work for a bunch of different employers. And now we're at this stage where, as you mentioned, Jim, this Intuit study is suggesting that we'll have 40% of the total workforce being freelancers. So things have really changed pretty radically, haven't they? Yeah, there's a giant paradigm shift in how we think about the future of work. Many of us are turning ourselves into our own employer. We're working from home. Maybe we're working from shared space. We're doing things we're passionate about, and we're doing lots of different things. And that means that we're needing to find the things that our employer once did for us um, in terms of benefits and tax withholding and insurance and kind of career progression and planning and take that upon ourselves. Rich, I want to push back a little bit on something you said about how, oh, in the old days, everybody thought they'd go work for one employer. Maybe they thought that, but actually, if you look in the history, it wasn't so much true. It wasn't you went to work in the GE factory and you spent 40 years there. Actually, people did move around in their jobs in the 50s and 60s more than we think. And and so I, I, I do think there's a shift here, but maybe it's not as profound as was once believed. But what's troubling to me is just that it's so unstable that people really have no clue about what they're going to do. And yes, you can see the the positive in that 
individuals are more entrepreneurial, perhaps, and maybe there are more opportunities for some people. But for many others, it's really scary out there. As a, a longtime employer, I've uh, run a number of different magazines. A lot of the workforce that we would hire in magazines are freelancers, and it's the only way to do it. I mean, you can't a magazine can't afford to have 40 freelance writers on staff, and it gives opportunity to a wide range of people. So I would defend the freelance model for certain types of work. But what I'm really interested, uh, Marcella, in your firm is, so you've t- gone into a business where you could very easily have just hired contractors. That's right. And you made this really interesting decision, and I think it's part of the, it's almost part of the branding of your company that you've decided to, to uh, treat these people as full-time employees. And I think you make a really good case for why. I, I think it's very important to say to them, and it's messaging to them and saying, like, you really are the most important part of our business. You're what powers our business. So the difference is uh, a real employee, a full-time employee is, uh, is, gets a, a W-2 tax form. The contractor gets a 1099 tax form. You take on a lot of responsibilities. And because of a lot of labor-friendly uh, uh, laws and, and regulations, you also take on a certain amount of risk. It's harder to get rid of an employee and, you know, um, you might have to have more severance and other uh, other issues you have to take into account if you do need to make changes in your workforce. Yeah, and there's a lot of reasons that 1099 is a wonderful option for a startup. Startups are fast-growing. They don't have a lot of resources. You don't know the future. That is def- the definition of doing a new business. And all of, I think, the growth in the economy is really coming from small businesses and startups like mine. And so so what we're saying is that the new workforce is, if we say the majority of it is contractors, is in this precarious situation where the benefits associated with the employer, like the social contract that we know that we get from the employer, that is what the laws in the government were constructed around, protections for the employer, employee, I'm sorry, minimum wage, workers' comp, insurance helping with tax withholding and doing your taxes and bookkeeping correctly. Those are all actually really important things for a 1K planning and most importantly, health benefits. And you're seeing giant changes in the economy where more and more of those things are available to you outside of your employer, but yet are not accessible and the knowledge and information isn't necessarily out there. So there's a little bit of a disconnect. So if more and more of the workforce is going to be 1099, we need more and more of them to have access to Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast to these third-party services. 
Does this this have a profound impact, though, on community, on our links to each other? If we're all freelancers, or or many of us are freelancers and we're, we're free agents, does that mean that the ties to each other are less than they otherwise would be, that we're, we're less of a community. We're not in this thing together. We're all free agents. I mean, not necessarily. I, it, there, you can make the argument that perhaps you're not in shared space, you're not working together for a collective goal, that you're working for your individual goal. But at the same time, I think that these technology platforms like the one that we're building and, and you know others like Homejoy and TaskRabbit, they're really connecting you to more services and more products and more people and creating connections you might not have even had. I think many of us don't know our neighbors today. And in, in the new paradigm, like there's so much social um, connection that's happening online. Yeah, I, no, I, I would agree with that. And I think that, but I, I like what you said about the uh, the role that a company can take. It maybe seems a little paternalistic, but an awful lot of people, again, at, speaking to someone who's hired a lot of people, I've had a lot of young people working for me who really weren't clued into why even when you're in your 20s, a 401k is a really good idea and you should be putting your money into it. And the company can sort of have a little bit of a protective umbrella over people. The flip side is maybe they don't, you know, move up as fast or, or um, have the flexibility they would have on under a, a contract or arrangement. I think, but I do think for a lot of people, I, I, I like the case you're making for a company like yours that really needs that intimate relationship with employees to, to work that way. And we selected the W-2 option to message basically to our employees and to the world. This is really important to us. I think there needs to be a match um, in terms of really saying, look, people are doing a service. In a service-based company, you need to respect the people who are driving those interactions and not transactions. Many of your competitors and other companies in this on-demand economy, companies that offer online services like Uber and, and Lyft and others, they've gone down a different path. So what are some of the challenges you faced in your determination that you're, you're going to have employees and you're going to have a tight relationship with them rather than just have contractors? So we lost the opportunity to have some flexibility in terms of if you have a 1099 relationship, you can very quickly change the terms of work. You can change the pay. You can very easily fire people. Uh, you can offer an ability for people to take more than one job. So a Uber driver can also be a Lyft driver, whereas a W-2 employee relationship is usually exclusive. Um, you put all of the administrative burden and cost of having insurance, accounting, taxes, all of that stuff, even having a phone to do your job onto the 1099 contractor. We then had to take on those costs and that planning. And, and and really, the most important part of it is thinking about the training element. If you're in a contracting relationship, you are not technically able to inform or instruct your contractor on how they do their job, when they do their job, or how they get paid. But have there been any challenges for you? I mean, it, has it meant that it's more expensive, that it's harder for you to, to offer your service for what I think it's 99 bucks uh, a right, month? Richard. Yeah, it's definitely changed our cost structure. So um, we estimate between 20 to 30% of our cost structure today is, a, is driven by the fact um, we chose a W-2 employer relationship. However, um, on, the, on the flip side, we have seen, so we started out as a 1099 contract or relationship. And when we switched over, we saw a huge increase in our retention of our Alfred client managers. I mean, 30% 
increase, which is astronomical. We also saw one-third of our customer complaints disappear. Marcella, you've given some really good thought. Our show is about solutions, and you've given some really good thought to some of the lessons we might be able to take from your experience in your company and apply more broadly, both on you know individual community, government levels. So I think when we think about individuals, when we think about freelancers, the key word here is agency. You're taking on the agency and the choice and the freedom to drive your own career. That means you also need to do the work to make sure that that you have a career. So you don't want to choose a job that basically turns the things that you're doing into commodities or transactions. You want to learn an expertise. You want to think about why are you doing this job versus another. And if you have the option to do have a 1099 relationship with versus a W-2, I would suggest that you would go to your employer and very strongly say, look, there are things that I need if we want to have a 1099 relationship to make sure that I'm in a good position, meaning I need access to discounted health care. I need access to help doing my accounting and financing. Um, and w- what what kind of training am I going to get on this job? Because the minuses are pretty obvious for if you're a 1099, the, the element of stability in your life is less, that that nobody's necessarily looking out for you. So what you're saying is that individuals who are freelancers, they need to advocate for themselves, right? That's right. They become their own advocate. At the same time, they have that opportunity to work for multiple. I'm going back thinking about my writers, photographers, illustrators, get to work for multiple companies simultaneously and bump up their income possibly. Let's move from individuals to communities. And and what can communities do about either a problem or, or an opportunity with this changing workforce? I think within communities and the way I think about communities, it's both employers, it's our it's you and your neighbors and it's it's local organizations. Understanding that more and more work is happening outside of employers' doors. And so what types of resources are you making available? What type of education are you giving to the community? So that's number one. Number two, companies inside uh, these communities have to step up and choose the right relationship between employees and the company. And it's definitely okay to use 1099, but the balance you have to balance it in other ways. So you want to offer 1099 contractors access to discounted health insurance you probably want to have a partnership with the freelancers unions, making it okay for drivers, for example, in Uber and Lyft to have the ability to advocate for themselves in a more collective fashion. Well, what is that organization? Um, the freelancers union is a group of people that is trying to create a collective voice for freelancers and make sure that they have in rights that address the power asymmetry that you have with an employee and employer. You have some thoughts about what the federal government can do, because the, obviously W-299, these are all based on IRS classifications, and, and you think they're out of date. Yeah, I definitely do. And I, you know, I think that people in my industry, you can look at the list of the things the IRS writes as a they ch- kind of a checklist for what qualifies as a 1099 contractor. And when you go down that checklist, it's things like, do you tell them what to wear? Do you tell them where to be? Do you train them? Um, do you tell them how they're going to get paid? And a lot of those things really skew towards being an employee. Now, I think that there is a middle ground between W-2 and 1099. There's a convergence that needs to happen. We want to give workers the ability and the flexibility to have more than one job, to choose different types of transactions or jobs they want to be a part of, at the same time that we're giving them provisions, protections, learning, education, training, um, the ability to move up in their career instead of just being stuck. And I think that's really important. And so what does that mean? It means we need a new type of classification in between these 
these two that currently exist. So that's, that's really interesting. I mean, w- w- what would that involve? You can have a 1099 relationship, but there are requirements for that employer to provide some level of access to healthcare, to tax withholding and financial planning, to minimum wage requirements, most importantly to insurance and like this concept of if something goes wrong, um, that you have an ability to provide for yourself. And most importantly, career advancement, which requires a training program through your and, career. And so right now there's this perverse disincentive to the employer. You may have a 1099 worker that you love and you'd love to see them develop, but you're actually, if you give them too much career advice or too much training, then the IRS might come down and you say, oh no, this is really a full-time employee and now you owe them all these, these back benefits. Right. Back taxes and penalties for essentially classifying your workforce in the wrong way. And and I like your thinking that we we want to protect people, but let's also we, right now we have these two very different classifications, both of which have limitations. If we could have kind of a middle ground or compromise, it would allow some of this flexibility, but still you know uh, address some of those problems. Yeah, there's definitely a win-win s- situation where there's lots of reason why as a startup founder, um, I would love to have a 1099 relationship with my employees. Um, there's lots of reasons why employees or people who are working would want to be a 1099 contractor, but there are things that are not in that relationship that are very, very important, and I think that's where the government needs to come in and, and, and essentially just do have a little bit of oversight. So, But you're not talking about it being a big new bureaucratic imposition on, on No, employers. in fact, I actually think that it's, it's a total waste of time and cost and legal process to be arguing over the W-2 and 1099 debate. Like These are just old old measuring sticks, and they're old classifications that no longer fit. I love the sound of that. You mentioned before your idea that we want people working with contract employees to be able to give them um, you know, 401ks, insurance, and other, other things that are similar to the, the kinds of benefits you get as a full-time employee. You described it as a meta layer of, of services. Sounds to me like maybe an opportunity for yet another startup. This is why the U.S. is so great. Capitalism, right? So uh, the government doesn't need to step in and, and, and dictate it. There is definitely a market opportunity, and there has been a lot of venture funding into new uh, HR startups, in new legal startups, in new abilities to do your own healthcare. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch I could name, Benny, Oscar, uh, Zenefits, where you can take that management of your career into your own hands. And and it's because it's so hard. It has been so difficult for people to do. And that's one thing, you know, that has always struck me is people trying to get their own insurance and, and handle these issues. So, um, but so I, you know, as the sort of uh, free market libertarian on the uh, on the panel here, you know, I, I, I really couldn't agree more. It's not necessarily something needs a big government solution, but maybe there's a smart free market solution, then the IRS has to back off a little bit and recognize this uh, this new era of flexibility. I think I'm going to be pushing back a little bit. Marcelo <laughs> Sapone, thanks okay. very much. Yeah, Excellent. So, Jim, what I really like about Marcella's approach is she really does seem to be caring for her workforce. That's her business, too. I mean, she has a business where you're sending people into your home. You want to know who they are. So I would argue as the 
as the uh, the bare knuckled capitalist. What she's doing is just good business, and I, I and I think that she recognizes these longer term relationships, less employee turnover, more career development for their employees. That's all good for their customers too. It's not just because they they want to be all uh, you know nice and cuddly uh, to their employees. But don't you think that employers need a nudge? Maybe not necessarily a nudge from the government, but a nudge to be more uh, proactive when it comes to their employees. But they don't do that in many cases. Well, the ones that don't do it and it hurts their business will go out of business. I don't think they necessarily need a nudge. And I, I don't think corporations necessarily need to conduct themselves just to, you know, to be nice. Uh, but what's so interesting is usually it is good business to take better care of your employees and to and to make them part of this long-term joint effort, this very communal effort, uh, instead of just treating them like hired an- anonymous hired guns. Now, she talked about individuals and she said, you know, you really need to be your own advocate. And that's fine for a lot of people, but I'm not sure that works for oh, everybody. Okay. So she's talking about people who are in this the freelance world. Yeah, 40% um, according to this Intuit report. Yeah. I mean, that's a tremendous percentage of the population that is like floating from one thing to another. Right. So, and you're saying you're not happy with this world that is becoming more freelance, more of a contractor basis. And so then maybe we need stricter employment laws in a lot of businesses, including the magazine business. Sometimes the IRS will step in and say, oh, you've been treating these people like contractors, they're really employees, you owe them all these benefits. Here's the downside of that. Europe. Look at Europe. It has incredibly protective laws to uh, to help employees. It's very hard to fire people. It's great if you've got a job, especially if you've got a job and you're not very good at your job. It's awesome because you'll never get fired. It's really bad for young people, minorities, the less educated immigrants. The unemployment rates among those populations in, in Europe are through the roof. And it's because... There's so much protection for employees that it's very, there's very little turnover. I would rather take a somewhat more chaotic, somewhat scarier world, but where there's real opportunity, including for that 17-year-old who's never held a job or that 25-year-old whose English isn't very good, but they're really striving. Yeah, I, I think I'm halfway between you and Europe. I, I accept your criticisms of, of a situation where people who already have a job have excessive protections and are not encouraged to do any better for themselves. I get it. But on the other hand, I do think there need to be protections for people who aren't articulate or aren't confident, don't have a, an ability, perhaps, to really advocate for themselves. Okay, so, so a lot so, of people like that. Right, right. I mean, I think everybody's like that to some extent. Um, so... Uh, you know, but here's here's where I thought think her her broader suggestion. I thought the most interesting thing was this idea on the government level. We need to break down this rigid distinction between the 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 W two employees and the ten ninety nine contractors. It's an archaic distinction. The IRS is is really tying the hands of employers, and she's suggesting this middle ground where you know you have contractors, but you do provide some of those some of that envelope of protection. And I love this idea of a meta layer. You know, and an outside contractor could handle the financial stuff, the insurance stuff, other elements that traditional employees did. It allowed these smart little startups to 
uh, to take better care of their employees without having to build giant bureaucratic HR departments. And here's one area where I think the government can help, and you may not agree with me, but providing basic health care. I mean, Obamacare may not be perfect, but it's a lot better than just people having no uh, protection whatsoever. I mean, the government does have to be able to provide a baseline if we're going to have this brave new world of many more people being free agents. Yeah, well, I think, you know, Obamacare is a topic for another show. And I I worry that's just layers and layers of more bureaucracy. I guess what I'm saying is is that, yes, if we're going to have more people who are freelancers, we're also going to have a more active discussion about social justice. Oh, come on. Oh, now we're we're going over the edge. If you've got an individual employee, you know, who's making a decision that's good for them – you know, I, and especially, you know, and you have companies that are really working in their long-term interest to, to develop a really good workforce. I, I think once we start bringing phrases like social justice into it, then, you know, you, then you, who's going to be the, the – the, swing the billy club to make that happen uh, and that's just going to make all these companies less efficient and I, I, don't see, less I don't see why we shouldn't have a, a discussion about social justice I don't see that just because you're in favor of social justice doesn't mean that you only want big unions or big government to be to be out there uh, waving the, the cudgel because, because social justice, uh, it's not oppressive social justice is, is a code word for income redistribution and you know we're talking about empowering people to have good careers and move up to a advance, not just to tax one group and give tons of money to the another The question group. is whether you're empowering some people or you're empowering everybody. Yeah. Well, so you empower people by helping them get good jobs. And and I don't think the social justice agenda does that. This is a great topic for a show. We could, we could spend a lot of time on this. Um, and it's a little afield <laughs> from where we are on this topic. But what, what I really like about, uh, about Hello Alfred is what a great opportunity for a lot of people who maybe don't they don't fit in the current job market and maybe or maybe they can't work full time maybe you know that maybe they're taking care of an elderly parent or something like that it's a fantastic opportunity to give people who don't fit into that 9 to 5 workforce template an opportunity to have a really neat career that really uses their skills and and I'm I'm all for it and I'm and I'm leery of you know bureaucratic solutions to problems that make this kind of business harder to run on that I agree Jim all right, Richard. <laughs> I think we fixed something. <laughs> Thank yous, Miranda Schaefer, our producer, and uh, Denise Barberita, our audio engineer, and Mono Lisa Studio here in the bottom part of Upper Manhattan. And we're in a basement as we speak. And also Lou Stravinsky, who did our music. Thanks for listening. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 